how to nourish yourself at the table and away from it. Plus, what does movement have to do with nourishing your mind, body, and soul? That and much more on this episode of Sex, Love, Joy. You're listening to Sex, Love, Joy, an interview series in which special guests reveal intimate details about how they're connecting the dots between sex, love, joy. I am your host, Anayin Bjorquist. On today's show, I have with me holistic health and movement coach, Jennifer Sterling. Jennifer's work is all about how women can nourish themselves with movement and food. After meeting her online, I quickly became a fan of her work. And the more that we talked, the more that we realized that our work truly complemented one another's. We've decided to join forces to bring you a joint workshop. We're calling it Fem Magic. And if you're ready to say yes to yourself, to have a deeper connection with your body and understand how to feed your body at the table and away from it, this is the workshop for you. We invite you to dare to trust your hungers and feast with us. Them Magic takes place September 26th at The Breathing Project in New York City. I hope that you enjoy this episode and please don't forget to check out femmagic.com. That is F-E-M-M-E-M-A-G-I-C-K.com. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being on Sex, Love, Joy. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I would love for you to tell people what you're passionate about and explain to them a little bit more about your work. I am passionate about anything, really anything that involves food. Um, so (laughs) my husband used to say it's that, you know, I love food more than I love sex, which sometimes is true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So all things food. And, you know, I really love the female body. And so that kind of ties into what I do for work. Um, I'm a holistic nutritionist, um, and a French trained pastry chef, but I also teach, movement. Um, and that evolved after many years of, of, te- of taking pole dancing and teaching pole dancing that I kind of got into somatic movement. So really helping women connect to their bodies through food and movement. I love that everything that you do is about nourishment because a lot of people don't realize how vital movement is to nourishing their bodies. And everything that you do ties into that nourishment. So how did you go from being a trained French pastry chef to what you're doing now? What changed in your own life or how did that evolution come about? So I, when I graduated from college, I was completely lost. I had a college degree, but like, really had no idea what to do with it. And that's when I really started to hone in on what I was passionate about, which was food. So I decided to go back to school and trained in French pastry. And also at the same time, I was battling this yeast infection that I'd had for 10 years, which is, you know, not necessarily something that, you know, people like to talk about so much, but it was something that I I struggled with off and on for 10 years. So I went to pastry school and I noticed that my 
my health issues were just getting worse. And I'd been to several doctors and, you know, trying to figure out what was going on and nobody really had an answer. So I continued, you know, in my pastry journey for for several years. And what I discovered later on, after being told by a doctor that some people are just sick, I figured out that my yeast infection was a result of several food intolerances. So I had to completely alter the way that I saw food because I couldn't eat what, what I was so used to eating. And French pastry is so much about butter and cream and sugar that having to eliminate those things from my diet was like a, a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's what led me into even more into figuring out how to, I was healing myself. So in that process, I actually ended up learning how to help other people do the same. Where do you start? Because I'm in that journey with my son right now of we found out he had food allergies. So where did you start? Where did you look for the resources and support to even go down that path? Because it sounded like even the doctors weren't really giving you much information to go off of other than there's just some people who are sick. Yeah, at that time, there was really very little talk about food allergies. And I was kind of lucky in that I grew up in a household where allergies were present. My mom is allergic, literally allergic to what seems like everything. Food allergies, but she's also like can't be in a room with somebody who has like scented shampoo or deodorant or perfume. Uh, so I spent my childhood sniffing out shopping malls and <laughs> you, know, like, you know, I would go in the restaurant first and, and find out like if they were making bread with rosemary in it because then she couldn't come in. So it was it was familiar to me in that sense, but deal I definitely went through a process of of grieving when I found out I had my own issues. And I think what I what I started doing a lot and I don't know if this would be helpful for you with your son is telling people what I can eat because it, it just kind of shifts the perspective a little bit. So when you go in and you say like, okay, you can't serve these six things instead of, of phrasing it that way to say, okay, well, I know you're really great at cooking this one dish and, you know, something that you know doesn't have anything in it that your son can't eat and go that route. And that's how I approach things when I eat with other people or somebody else is cooking for me. You're no longer doing the work as a French pastry chef. You're helping people now that have food allergies and you're helping them through movement. How did that evolve in your work once you figured out what worked for you? What I discovered in that process is that what you put in your body is just as important as what you do with your body. Yeah. So for me, movement was really healing and it was a way for me to release all of the emotional tension and stress that I had pent up that was wreaking havoc on my digestive system. Yeah. And the thing that I found out is that even though we might not have necessarily food allergies, I think that people don't realize that our unique body compositions, there's things that might be better for me to eat than let's say for my husband, because he has a completely different genetic makeup than I do. Is that something that, that you found in your work as well, is that all your clients might be different or the, the different ways that you have to help them unpack 
their all the information that we get about food. Yeah, definitely. And there's there's no one there's no diet that suits everybody. And I think we hear a lot, you know, in media and otherwise about the latest diet craze and everybody should go paleo or you should all be vegan. And there are health benefits to to each of them, but everybody's body responds totally differently to different things. So what I typically do is have my clients write down what they eat for two to three weeks and feel, notice what they feel like after they eat. Somebody has, let's say, steak and potatoes. So half an hour after you eat, how do you feel? How do you feel an hour after you eat that? Or how do you feel an hour after you eat a bag of chips? And I think that is really helpful in figuring out what it is that your body needs or what kind of diet you should be on, um, or what would be most nourishing to you. Were you always a dancer? How did movement play a part in your in your new career? I've always been a mover. I mean, I think when people think of dance, they think like ballet and, you know, really technical movement. And I took a ballet class when I was like three or four. And then I didn't dance again until I went to college. But in that process what I like I said I figured out that it was really emotionally helped me emotionally become more balanced and then I left it again after college and I ended up getting a a gift certificate on Valentine's Day from my ex-husband to take what he told me was a yoga class Mm. and of course I'm thinking like what like yoga on (laughs) Valentine's Day (laughs) What's going on? So, you know, he like pretty much hands me my yoga mat and says, you know, go take this class. You know, I'll meet you for dinner afterwards. <laughs> and so I, I go and I take, you know, walk into this room thinking like it's just a yoga class. And the woman teaching the class, her name is Sheila Kelly. It was um this oh, place. Yeah. So she's teaching the class and she starts talking about like pole dancing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in the wrong place. Like, this is supposed to be a yoga class. Did but he there... know that it wasn't a yoga class? Or he told you it was a yoga class? Told me it was yoga, but he, like, and he'll probably be really upset about this, but he was watching Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> so this was a while ago, because I remember when she was on Oprah. This is, like, 2004, probably. <laughs> at, least, at least 10 years ago. Yes. Because um... <laughs> I think my husband watched the same show. <laughs> He got me the book, though. <laughs> and who watch Oprah. <laughs> yeah, so he gave me, he knew what it was, but I, he also knew that if he told me that I was going to a pole dancing class, I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> so I go in, there's no way out. There's like, there's everywhere. Um, and I end up taking the class and thinking, okay, you know, it was fun, but you know, I don't know if I'm going to do it again. And then I walked out of the studio and I felt like all of my senses were heightened. Like I was walking down the street in New York City and I could see. Um, and I was so used to prior to that moment walking around with my head down mm-hmm. that this was like a totally new experience like I was noticing things and people that I had never seen before and I that was a shift for me so I was like okay maybe I should just keep going with this so I took class 
for about a year and noticed multiple changes in my body and my emotional well-being. And it was just fun. I want you to explain more about how your senses were lit up because this is something that when we don't move in certain ways, our bodies are shut down. Our other senses are shut down. So I want you to explain more about how that plays a role in somatic movement and explain what that is, because I think that term, although it's not new to us, it, it might be new to a lot of the listeners. The heart of somatic movement is becoming aware of yourself and aware of how movement affects your psyche, your emotional, mental well-being. And a lot of what you do when you're moving is feeling and sensing. Yes. Um, you have to become aware of yourself in order to do that. So I think for me, after taking that class at S-Factor, and for, for anybody who doesn't know S-Factor, in an S-Factor class, you do a lot of exploring your body through touch. Yes. Um, so it's, you know, that was actually one of the first times that I really allowed myself to feel my own body. Like what what does my skin feel like? Yeah. And so I think going through that process of really allowing my my hands to explore my body and really becoming aware of my sense of touch almost well heightened my my vision because in class your your eyes are are closed or at least the studios are are dark enough so that you really can't see a whole lot. Yeah. So you're you're seeing with your hands. And that makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. And that's not an element that is in all pole dance classes, but in S-Factor it is. And you really have to touch yourself. And that is so odd to people. It's their own body and they're like, oh my God, I have to touch myself. (laughs) (laughs) Like almost like it's dirty. (laughs) Yeah. And after teaching, I taught there at S-Factor for almost eight years. And that was one of always one of the, the biggest blocks. And I think as women, we're taught that that's not okay. Yeah. And I mean, men walk around like adjusting their balls all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Not even men, like we have sons. So, you know, like little boys, (laughs) you know, they, it it seems as though it never occurs to them that, that that's something they shouldn't do. But for women, it's like, you have to keep everything together and, you know, touching yourself can't be any, you, you do that in private. Yeah. Even, you know, that was, it's interesting to see women go from that place of like, oh my God, is this okay? Yeah. To like, now I sit in restaurants with some of my friends and we're all talking and like, you know, our hands are just moving. <laughs> <laughs> But it takes a little bit to get comfortable with the idea because I think we're just taught that, like, we're, you're not supposed to. And I'm sure that the women that walk away from your classes and, you know, your somatic movement stuff, they probably take up more space, too, in the world. Because that's another way that movement shows us that we don't have to shrink and that we can take up more space. And you, as I think most of us walk around trying not to take up space. We're very, you know, we try to be very linear. And, you know, as women, I think a lot of times we feel this pressure to present ourselves, you know, as if in the same way that men present themselves. Yeah. Um, especially if you're, you're in corporate America or you're in a, a male dominated field. So being in a space 
and most of my movement classes are are all women. So you're in a space with other women and you can let your guard down a little bit. And it, it even takes a little bit in that process to get women to take up more space. So initially, you know, we have we start sometimes on a on a yoga mat just so everybody's comfortable. And in the beginning, women feel like they're confined to that mat. Um, even if I say like, you can, you know, stretch beyond the mat, still kind of like scoot back onto it when they find themselves coming off of it. And, you know, when you get to that place where you actually realize that, oh my God, I can really stretch my arms or, you know, my chest reaches farther than I ever thought it could reach. That's huge. And if you can carry that outside of the studio, I think it increases confidence and just makes you feel better. Like you're not stuck in a box anymore. Yeah, I absolutely adore your work. I already said earlier, you know, everything you do is about nourishing. I think that's one of the keys that that women don't do enough. We don't nourish ourselves enough. We nourish everyone around us. <laughs> yeah, true. How do you, other than movement and food, how, what are your other ways <laughs> that you nourish yourself? Cause I'm imagining that you're a self-care diva. <laughs> <laughs> I try, but I will tell you like having a kid makes that process so much more difficult, at least for me. I mean, I'm sure there are people who have mastered, you know, self-care with a child. <laughs> I've gone through different periods in life where I completely neglected it because I was taught that like it's more important to take care of other people than it is to take care of myself. And I saw that with my mom. My mom is very much that way. Like she'll give you everything that she has before she takes care of herself. And the one thing I figured out after I had a kid and I, I was divorced was that in order for anything else to happen, I needed to be here, which meant I needed to take care of myself. Yeah. You know, if my kid was going to eat, if, you know, whatever it was, I had to be at my best in order for all of those things to happen. So at that point, I implemented what I call like my my self-care limit. Um, it's not like a fancy term or anything, but like <laughs> it's basically... When when I go to take care of somebody else or hold space for somebody else in a class, I have to consider how much I can give without sacrificing my own well-being. Sometimes when I explain this to people, it comes across as, you know, being selfish. But if I'm not where I need to be, then I don't have anything to give you. And we need that. We need to know what that limit is or, or to take that time out. And it's it's hard as, as a mom and as a, you know, an entrepreneur, like we're in this constant state of like of work, I feel like. And as much as I love my kid, like there are times when I'm like, OK, this is work. <laughs> it is. You know? you know, the, the soccer practice and all of that stuff, like it, it gets exhausting. So I have to, before I do anything, I have to really think about how much I can do before I completely, before I'm going into my reserves. Um, and ideally I don't want to have to go into that place. Yeah. Yeah. So what are the things that you do outside of movement and food? Cause you didn't tell me that you avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> I whenever I start to feel like I need to nourish myself I really I go in the kitchen and really? that yeah my kitchen is is 
my home, essentially. I'll go and I'll, I find so much joy in cooking for myself or cooking for other people. So if I roll out like a four course meal, then everybody knows like, okay, you just needed some time. You needed to, to, to take care of yourself. And sometimes I get so much joy out of preparing food for other people. So even if it's just me and my son, like I'll prepare, you know, a fancy meal for the two of us. And that that makes me happy. And being in the kitchen and working with my hands and getting to explore my senses through food, my sense of touch, my sense of smell, all of that is really, really nourishing to me. I want to talk to you about body image, because I think that all your work also relates to body image. What tips do you have for women to feel at ease in their bodies? I think the the one of the things that has helped me the most is to really focus on what makes me feel good. Because there's a lot of things out in the world and so much now with social media where we get in this place of like comparing ourselves to other people. Yeah. And I think if you really sit down and think about what makes you feel your best or what makes you feel healthy or sexy or confident, then you can get past all of that other stuff. I think we we go, we put ourselves through so much like stress and torture trying to be like other people. And if we could just bring it home, to our own bodies and say, you know what, it's really great that being raw works for this person, but it doesn't work for me. And one of the other things that I sometimes have my clients do is make a list of the five things that they really love about themselves. And sometimes it's a little bit challenging in the beginning because we tend to focus on the things that we don't like. Yeah. Having that list with you on days when you're really not feeling so great to look at and say, okay, actually I do have a really great smile and, and to focus on those things. And it, it really, for me does come back to shifting the perspective or the perception, even with people with food allergies, it's, you know, focus on what you can eat Focus on what you do have instead of focusing on what's not there. And in that process, you figure out that there's there's so much more joy in life. You know, if you're if you're worrying about, you know, the size of your hips, then you're really not noticing the 10 other things that are really great about you. Yeah. One of the things that I notice with movement is that being in my body and having a consistent movement practice, it feeds my intuition. How has being in your body and having a relationship with movement helped you with your own intuition? Yeah, I think the connection when you when you're moving, you're very very aware of yourself. So that self-awareness and that self-connection has really helped me to figure out what it is that I desire. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like it actually helps me to like call things into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm not one of those people that like can sit down and like do the whole affirmation thing and, you know, manifest things just by sitting and thinking about them. But there are times when I start moving that I can actually feel what it's like to be, you know, in the space 
where I would have something that I really want. That's juicy. And then, you know, those things start to start to come, which is a really interesting process. But it takes away the the conscious mind and all of that like inner chatter so yeah. that I can actually get to the heart of what it is that I want and how it feels to actually have that thing, if that makes any sense. I feel you because I can't do sitting meditation. Yoga is about as still as I can be. <laughs> <laughs> And then I get uncomfortable at the end of the class sometimes. It's like, oh, I want to jump off this mat. <laughs> when do you feel most beautiful? I love asking women this question. Good one. <laughs> I feel most beautiful actually when I'm when I'm moving, when I'm dancing. I have a lot of 30-second dance parties in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm just going to move. I'm going to turn something on. I'm going to spin around and shake things up. And I, I just, I, I don't even have to look at myself to know that like there's, or to feel that there's a glow. And so those are the moments when I feel most connected, when I feel at my best and when I feel most beautiful. I I love that you love movement as much as I do. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to go in the opposite direction. (laughs) What do you gain from stillness or quietude? I think in stillness, I can, I find my way home. In, in, and I, I do the same thing in movement, but just in a different way. In the movement piece really kind of sparks my creativity and I have a, my thoughts are going a million miles an hour. But when I actually sit down, everything makes a little more sense and I can sort of ground myself and really figure out how to organize all of those thoughts and ideas that I have. So it brings me a little bit more into like, I guess, what people would call an analytical space. Yeah, but it just it feels almost like a a second home to me. What has motherhood taught you about yourself? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, we don't have time for this. (laughs) There's so many things. I feel like having kids is like the ultimate, the kids are like the ultimate mirror. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. And I, I didn't realize that before I had a child that, it would bring up so many things that I felt like I, I wanted to be better at or to do better. But I think one of the biggest, the question was one of the, what's the biggest lesson, right? Yeah. I think it's just to enjoy life because I mean, at this point, my son is, is three and he's no matter what happens, he just enjoys life. Like he just None of the other stuff really matters. And maybe I, I got lucky because he's just a really happy kid. But there's there's so much laughter. And even in the, the points, like we're potty training now. So I get so frustrated. <laughs> but even in my frustration, he's like, it's okay, mommy. We'll try next time. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll try it again next time. <laughs> so, so it's that like mom, none of this really matters, right? I'm going to, I'm going to use the potty when I'm ready. Like, can we just enjoy this moment? Like, (laughs) so I, that is, that's huge for me because I, I tend to always think about, okay, what's next and where do I need to be? And what should I do? Especially owning a business. I feel like that 
those thoughts like crowd my brain constantly. But he just kind of reminds me to settle down. <laughs> just, let's just be in the moment. Yeah. I want you to tell the listeners what's coming up for you. I want you to tell them more about where they can find you and about your offerings and things like that. Yeah. So my little corner of the internet <laughs> is uh, jennifersterling.me. And what's there is is basically a lot of allergy-friendly recipes, information on how to manage food allergies and live life with food allergies without feeling restricted. And I also, I have a, a free cookbook there for anybody who really loves cookies. It's like full of um, allergy-friendly cookie recipes. And what's on the horizon for me I'm planning a lot more um, in-person movement classes and just working on a cookbook. And where are you based so they know where those in-person classes will be? I am in New York City. Where can they find you on social media? Because I know you're everywhere. Yeah, I am everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I am on, um, I think all of my handles are the same. Facebook at Jen. M. Sterling. Twitter is at Jen M. Sterling and Instagram is the same at Jen M. Sterling. Okay, Jennifer, you ready? Sex is communication of souls. Love is the root of everything. Joy is the purpose for being. Thank you so much for being on Sex, Love, Joy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Sex, Love, Joy. For more interviews like this one and my other work, please visit sexlovejoy.com. I hope that listening to today's guests talk about living their truths helps you in your quest to do the same. Remember, thriving ain't easy, but adding a little sex love joy to your day makes the living a whole 